chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. We're kind of picking it up midstream this week. Uh, we left off at verse 5, which is certainly mid-sentence in terms of what Paul is saying, but uh, as far as the content-wise, that's all the further we got last week. So uh, let's pray together, and then we'll get into our study here. I guess we'll wait for Albert. Sorry, Albert. No hurry. You come by bus. We'll wait. <laughs> okay. Why don't we go ahead and pray? Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to uh, assemble in Jesus' name. And uh, thank you for each one that's able to come out tonight. Uh, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, we're a blessed people. And uh, the best is yet to be, even as we study in our, in our text tonight here. We ask your blessing on our study. Uh, may the Holy Spirit show us the things you would have us to, to learn, uh, to glean, to appreciate, uh, to uh, think about in terms of our eternal future. Lord, we also ask uh, your blessing on the Iwana Youth Group Ministries ongoing. Thank you for all those who minister in that context. Uh, use them for your glory tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, you note uh, on the overhead, we are in Second Thessalonians, and the uh, theme is the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment. And uh, after the greeting, we have this long section from verse 3 through 12, encouragement in the context of present persecution. And so that's uh, where we find ourselves. Paul planted this church on his second missionary journey, and uh, he was there about three weeks, not very long. So he, uh, after a while, short while, evidently, sends uh, Timothy as to follow up on his uh, planting the church there at Thessalonica. Timothy reports back, and then he writes uh, 1 Thessalonians. He's very encouraged that they're standing fast in, in their faith in the context of persecution. Well, now he sends another letter, another follow-up letter, if you will, 2 Thessalonians. From the very start, this church was very interested in eschatology, in the, in the coming of the Lord. They, they were saved to uh, wait for the Lord from heaven, as it says in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, chap, uh, verse 10 there. So they were very interested in uh, eschatology, uh, re things related to the Lord's return. And yet there was some confusion because of the ongoing persecution, because some people were saying, well, you know what, we're, we're in the day of the Lord. See this persecution? That proves that we're in the day of the Lord. And so Paul is wanting to really affirm, no, this present persecution doesn't show we're in the day of the Lord. In fact, it serves uh, some other purposes. It serves to show a couple of things. We left off verse 5. Per, uh, persecution has a dual function. Uh, it mani is manifest evidence of, of the righteous judgment of God. That, you know, the judgment's going to come, and, and this is why. This is one reason why God's going to judge those who have been abusing his people. <clears throat> the other uh, thing that it does, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. It doesn't make you worthy, but it demonstrates that you as the people of God, going through this for the cause of Christ, are worthy of the kingdom. And uh, so that's where we left off last time. Let's pick it up tonight. Who wants to read verses uh, 6 and 7? 2 Thess Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Albert. This is something to think about, you know. I mean, it made it very personal. Imagine thinking, you know, 
God, the God of heaven is going to bring judgment day because of us. <laughs> he's going to get even with these people and he's going to come with his mighty angels. And, and it's because of what they're doing to us right now. Well, that is really personalizing it. And that's what he does. Uh, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Uh, it's a righteous thing, meaning it's, it's a right thing. I mean, he said the same thing in verse 5 where he says, uh, which is a manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Well, he says again, it is, uh, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. God is the standard bearer of what is right and what is wrong. I mean, he is the moral compass of the universe. And, uh, you know, if there is no absolute right and absolute wrong, you really can't make sense out of life. Uh, God is the moral compass. Uh, he... He is the standard, and uh, it's a righteous thing with God to repay uh, those who are mistreating his people. It's right. You say, boy, that doesn't seem right to me. He's just a God of love. He, he should never want to get even. It's a righteous thing, according to what the Bible says. I'm going with that. <laughs> Somebody says, well, I don't think that's right. Well, you can take it up with God. Uh, God is the, the standard, and uh, it's, it is righteous with God to repay uh, to repay means to pay back. It's the idea of vengeance. Vengeance. Uh, it's God's prerogative uh, to repay uh, evil. And uh, he does it in keeping with his holiness. But uh, it is God's prerogative. We read in you know, different places in the Bible. But in Romans chapter 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Um, it's not our prerogative to get even. But it is God's. Uh, God is God, and, and it is righteous for him to repay. And one day, he will do so. And uh, so payday someday is what I've titled the message here, and it's because of this. Payday someday for those who abuse God's people, God will get even, uh, it, and it's a righteous thing for him to do so. The idea to repay with tribulation, tribulation is the idea of suffering. Uh, those who trouble you, those who abuse God's people, persecute, uh, uh, afflict God's people. God will one day settle the score. And uh, you know what I would say to those people who are, have been mistreating God's people? This, is, this, this has your name written all over it. Uh, God's going to get even for what you've done to his people, for how you've mistreated them. And we leave it with God. But you can get out of that situation. Uh, the, the door of grace is still open. You can repent and you can change sides. And we invite you to do so, so you don't have to experience this uh, payday someday. But if you don't repent, there is payday someday. And it's a righteous thing with God to do so. And then in verse 7, he continues, And to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. The context here is clearly talking about the second coming. We're not talking about the, the rapture phase here. We're talking about the second coming uh, to the earth. Uh, there's a certain rest that we have in Jesus Christ. We, you know, have peace with God and, and we, we rest in, in who we are in Christ. Uh, there is a rest in death as we find various scriptures. I think there's a rest related to the rapture. But there's more here. Uh, when he says uh, to give you uh, who are troubled rest with us, uh, the word rest here means relief. Uh, relief from tension and the whole context here is a role reversal uh, where these people have been uh, persecuting you. Now God's going to afflict them. 
with, with uh, uh, tribulation. And so the, the idea here, I think, is the idea of vindication of the saints uh, related to the glory of the kingdom. The character of this rest relates to the glory of the kingdom, the fullness of this vindication, and the manifestation of it will take place in conjunction with the second coming. This is called the times of refreshing, uh, this, this rest, in Acts 3.19. Romans 8 says, uh, speaks of the glory that will then be revealed in us and calls it the revealing of the sons of God. Uh, this is uh, the kingdom glory that awaits uh, the, the, the children of God. And uh, this is the rest, I think, that he's talking about here. Uh, vindication of the saints, where we will enter into that, that time of full refreshing, uh, that kingdom glory. And then he says, uh, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now, it's interesting, uh, the word revealed that he uses here. Um, the word revealed is the Greek word apocalypsis, meaning something is disclosed, made known, or unveiled. Uh, you know, we get the apocalypse uh, from, uh, you know, we use that with the word revelation, and that's right. In this case, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself that is being revealed. Uh, Paul commonly uses the word parousia, meaning presence in relation to Christ coming for the church. He uses the other word too, but uh, commonly this is the word. Uh, but here in verse 7, Paul used the word apocalypsis, meaning the revelation, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus. This is the second coming of Jesus in all his glory. So uh, just to uh, contrast those two words, uh, parousia, apocalypsis, uh, parousia emphasizes arrival or presence uh, to be with his royal highness. Uh, apocalypsis, unveiling his, his power and glory disclosed. So that's, that's the word we're talking about there. I guess I miss, uh, what did I do? I have no idea. Huh? Yeah, there we go. Okay. All right. Uh, note uh, here, um, it says that uh, he will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. What a scene this is going to be. Christ is going to be coming at that second coming. He's coming on a white horse. The armies of heaven are following him on white horses. Uh, the mighty angels, God's holy angels are all there in, in company. Uh, it's going to be a tremendous scene. And uh, he's coming to repay those, that's the emphasis here, who have been afflicting God's people and to give us rest. Uh, kingdom vindication is what I think uh, is ultimately in view there. All right, any other thoughts before we uh, go on to verses 8 and 9? Yeah, Vince. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, if you're... That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. In this world, you have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, right? But yeah, if your best life is now, you're, a, you're an unsaved person. I mean, that is a title for the unsaved, for sure. But that's commonly what people say, right? I'm living my best life now, you know. Uh, unbelievers say that commonly. Meaning they're living, they're living high. Everything's going well. Uh, well, yeah, for us as believers, this is, there's, the best is yet to be. Uh, it's not now. All right, any other thoughts? Okay, let's have somebody read verses 8 and 9. Who wants to read that for us? 8 and 9. Yeah, Jeff? Inflaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not 
Wow, this is enough to make you shudder. This is some strong language here. Uh, So he's coming to give us rest, as we talked about in verse 7. But he's also coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel. Uh, Flaming fire is the idea of emblazing fire. It's a picture of judgment. Uh, Our God is a consuming fire, as Hebrews 12, 29 says. Uh, John the Baptist talked about a, a baptism of fire in which he will burn up with un, unquenchable fire, uh, the adversaries. Uh, in flaming fire, taking vengeance. Here again is the idea of payback. Vengeance is payback. And uh, it's holy justice in flaming fire, taking vengeance. And notice uh, these people who have been abusing God's people are clearly described as uh, on those who do not know God. They have no personal relationship with God. At the end of the day, uh, there are those who know God and those who don't know God. What does it mean to know God? Somebody says, I know God. Okay. You have his phone number? <laughs> what does it mean to know God? You know, we, we commonly say that, right? And, we do, and the Bible says that. Um, okay. It means a certain kind of relationship that we have with God. People say, I have a personal relationship with God. Everybody has a relationship with God. Some are enemies of God. Some are friends of God, right? I mean, so it's kind of what is the relationship? Uh, to say you know God means that you recognize him for who he is. That's the idea. Uh, you know, Jesus spoke about this in Matthew. We know these verses, right? Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's what you said, Greg. Obey. Uh, many who say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, uh, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, they were saying, Lord, Lord. That's the refrain all the way through here. But they didn't, they didn't know him as Lord. That's who he is. He is Lord. But they, they didn't know him in that way. Their, their life was a contradiction. Uh, he who does the will of my Father. Uh, they didn't do the will of the Father. They, they were living uh, evil. Uh, they were practicing lawlessness. So, so they didn't really know him. They, they said Lord, but they didn't know him as Lord. It wasn't a reality in their life and in their heart. So to really know the Lord means to know him for who he is. And he is Lord and Savior. Uh, to know him for who he is as Lord and Savior. Uh, that's what it means to know the Lord. It's to, to have that personal relationship in your heart. But these uh, don't know the Lord. Uh, I think I've got another slide here. Those who do not know God do not have a life-changing faith relationship with him. Those that do not know God are those who do not respond to the light that God gives them, whether it be the light of conscience, the light of creation, or the light of the gospel. Whatever their level of rejection, the bottom line is that they don't know God, and that results in his judgment. Uh, so this, uh, this vengeance is coming on those who do not know God. They don't know God. Not, they haven't recognized him for who he is in, in saving faith. And then he says, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no neutrality when it comes to the gospel. There are those who obey the gospel and there are those who don't obey the gospel. How do, you, how do you obey the gospel? What do you have to do about the gospel? 
You have to believe it, right? You have to believe it. And uh, you have to believe it. You know, this is what my whole project that I mean, we're, I'm getting close to the end. I'm not quite there, but I'm close. I got to get done with this thing. But uh, I do. It's about 250 pages when it's all said and done here. But, uh, but, you know, the Bible talks about the obedience of faith. This really is the bookends, by the way, the, the, the Gospel of Romans, of the Gospel, uh, the Book of Romans. Could call it the Gospel of Romans. Uh, the Gospel of God is the theme. Um, but yeah, the obedience of faith, Romans 1 5, the obedience of faith, uh, Romans 16 24 25, th- these are the bookends to the book. Uh, this defines a saving faith. There is an obedience component to a, a saving faith. And there's no, neut- no neutrality. Uh, really, I think we're talking about the nature of saving faith here. Uh, we are not saved by the obedience of works. I mean, that's a false gospel. But we are saved by the obedience of faith. And that's, uh, that's what is the problem here. Uh, the vengeance of God is coming on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, God commands us to believe on Jesus. 1 John 3, 23. This is his command that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Uh, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Uh, to believe. These won't believe. And notice, it's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who he is. Uh, they didn't receive the, the good news of Lord means God master, Jesus means Savior, Christ means the chosen one, the, the anointed one, the special one. Uh, that word Christ is, is a rich word related to the Old Testament. It's tethered to the Old Testament. Uh, Hebrew Messiah, uh, Greek is Christ, means anointed one. But it's really this promised one that comes out of the Old Testament. When it says Christ died for our sins, that's not an isolation. It's uh, Christ died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures. It comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. Uh, This idea of Christ, again, is connected, it's tethered to the Old Testament. So this is the one who fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. Uh, The gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God, Master, Savior, who is the prophesied one, the coming one, uh, prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, let's see. I got a series of slides here, so let's uh, go through a few things here. In Romans, uh, Paul talks about the obedience of faith, as I said, uh, at the beginning and at the end, but also here in the middle. Uh, saving faith involves a response of obedience in the heart. It's a response of faith that accepts the truth of Jesus Christ for who he is as Savior and Lord. Faith is not merely an intellectual thing. It's also a matter of the will, a matter of the heart. Uh, that's where the issue of obedience comes in. William MacDonald says, the gospel is not simply a statement of facts to be believed. That, that's kind of easy believism. You know, just believe the facts. Even the demons believe intellectually. I mean, we're talking a heart issue. Uh, but a person to be obeyed. Uh, belief in the New Testament sense involves obedience. Um, clearly, that is the case as shown even here in our verse here, verse 8. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, you know, you have lordship and you have saviorhood in that verse. Uh, calling on the name of the Lord, you're recognizing for who he is. That's why you're calling on him as the name of the Lord. You're recognizing for who he is. He is the Lord who can save you. Uh, and you call on him as such. Uh, 
John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey. The Greek really says obey here. Uh, the King James has the, whoever does not believe, but really it's obey. Uh, he who uh, believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. Uh, the wrath of God abides him. Does not obey in the sense that does, doesn't believe. Uh, Hebrews 5.9, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Uh, Hebrews 5.9. So we see this is uh, consistent uh, throughout the New Testament scriptures. Uh, when Christ said it is finished on the cross, that is uh, an all-important part of the gospel. Sin was paid for by him, by him alone, and in full. But that's not the end of the story. He also rose again. This, too, is part of the gospel story. In the resurrection, we have a declaration of his lordship. We believe in Christ as our Savior, the cross, and we believe in him as our Lord, the resurrection. This is a package that cannot be separated. Obeying the gospel means to submit to the truth of Christ as Savior and Lord. He is our sin bearer. He is our master, our, our God master. I've got a couple more slides, so hang with me here. 1 Peter 1.22, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Uh, Hebert says they reject the gospel of our Lord Jesus, uh, the good news concerning Jesus the Savior, and the demand that he be accepted as Lord. They not only reject the knowledge offered in the gospel, but also refuse the obedience the gospel demands. Okay, uh, let's see here. I think that's all that I have there. Yep, that's it. Um, notice uh, one more thing here that I want to point out that nobody has ever really satisfactorily refuted this in my mind. Uh, and this is, this verse... Uh, indirectly refutes the idea of limited atonement. There are those that say, you know, Christ died only for the elect. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, so note uh, what I say here, just real briefly. We don't want to get too much on the sidetrack here, but some claim that Christ died only for the elect. It's called limited atonement. However, if Christ died only for the elect then how can it be that the non-elect do not obey the gospel? I mean, if Jesus didn't die for them, then there is no gospel for them to disobey. There's nothing for them to reject, right? I mean, there's no gospel for them. I mean, how can you say, well, you rejected the truth of Christ. He didn't die for me. I mean, what? It's a non-issue. How can one disobey the gospel that Christ died for sin and rose again if he didn't die for them? Uh, the point is, he did die for them. And that's why they're accountable. Uh, limited atonement makes no sense to me. Uh, I don't get it. I refute it. I reject it. I think this verse refutes it. Yeah. Uh, is it in Hebrew that said he died once for all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get into these theology uh, debates. They've got their proof text. Uh, you know, we've got ours. We go back and forth. But this, it's like, how is God holding these people accountable uh, for not obeying the gospel if Jesus didn't die for them. They're being held accountable for rejecting not obeying the gospel. That only makes sense if Christ died for you and you're rejecting it. It doesn't make sense otherwise. At least not to me. Uh, somebody can explain it to me. Maybe you can help me on this. <laughs> uh, but I don't get it. I, I firmly reject limited atonement. I definitely do. I believe Christ died for everyone. Yeah, Kurt? 
Right? Right. Well, amen. Uh, oh. Oh, for sure. For sure. And we love him because he first loved us. I mean, it starts with God for sure. But uh, I'm dealing with the, the angle of personal accountability here in terms of not obeying the gospel. Yeah, right. But amen to what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, amen. Well, that's right. Amen to that. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that's a great question, and there's a great debate there, because some would say uh, those who do not know God as uh, Gentiles in terms of background, uh, those who do not obey the gospel as Jewish, you know, went first to the Jews. But I don't know. I, I really think you you got a, got a statement where it's it's encompassing uh, everybody here. Not just not two separate entire groups here. Right, right, yeah. Even right, right, and that's how I would take it. Uh, like I say, there are scholars who disagree, but boy, even, even if you uh, take it uh, in like we're talking two different categories of people here, uh, the end of the day is they're, they're all lost, right? And so no matter how you take it, all, all, if you don't know God, if you don't obey the gospel, uh, you're all lost. And uh, let's say somebody's never heard the gospel. Well, they're still lost. They still don't know God. Right? I mean, and, and it's one reason. They need to know the gospel in order to be saved, that's for sure. So I think it is a catch-all no matter how you take it. Uh, you don't know God. You don't know the gospel. But, but these clearly are uh, held accountable for not obeying the gospel is the emphasis here. Uh, so these people, uh, I, in that last phrase, certainly did know the gospel in the sense of intellectually it was presented to them, but they wouldn't obey it. Right? So, but that's a good question, Vince. Uh, there's a debate there, but yeah, I take it uh, in the sense of, of even. Yeah, okay. Anyone else? Oh, I'm sorry, Andrew, yeah. In the conversation of Mr. Solomon, yeah. how closely is that discussion linked with the discussion of sovereignty and free will? Well, because when I looked at the, when I looked at this, yep. Yep. Well, as a discussion, I see that 
right? And in the end, what we know for sure is that I am responsible for my decisions and my response towards God. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't that same mentality or argument also take place in this, where whether limited atonement is a thing or not, why I am still personally responsible because that's what the Bible teaches? Well, that's true. I would take it one step further and say, why are you responsible? That's what my whole issue here is, which, uh, you know, you're responsible because Christ died for you and you are responsible to obey the gospel. And if you don't obey the gospel, let's say we're talking about people have clearly heard the gospel here. Now that's on you. God is going to come with vengeance in flaming fire, taking vengeance on you because you refuse to obey the gospel. And, you know, we'll get to this chapter two. They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. I mean, the onus seems to be on personal responsibility in those verses. Um, verses, I, I don't think you can say, well, God, you didn't, you didn't choose me. Therefore, you know, there's no excuse here. Uh, you don't have an out. To repent. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, right. There is, you cannot get away from personal accountability, personal responsibility. Uh, God is sovereign. There is no question about that. Um, all the elect will be saved, will, which will be those who do respond to the gospel. <laughs> um, and uh, it starts with God. He's the great initiator. It, it is grace. You know, all of those things. And there is some mystery here that we can't fully comprehend. Yep. I think in that same vein, it's like if limited atonement is a thing or it isn't, it doesn't matter because I am still responsible. And I'm saying uh, it is not a thing because you are responsible to obey the gospel. And if God's going to send you to hell, you can't say, well, I wasn't one of the elect. The gospel wasn't for me. Yes, it was for you. There's nobody that the gospel's not for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I take God as a very serious issue when somebody says, you know, Jesus didn't do all that the scripture said that he Yeah. So, yeah, they, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you get into this. I mean, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kurt. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Right. I mean, that's the, that's that's the other side of the. That's universalism, where he is so loving that you know everybody goes right. I mean, nobody goes to hell. I mean, so yeah. Uh, right. Oh yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne? <laughs> well, that's what you have. That's what you have to do. If you're going to tenaciously hold to that theology, that's what you have to say. You know, I'm not sure whether Christ died for you or not, but just in case, I mean, you end up with that kind of silliness. But I say uh, there is this blessed inconsistency sometimes. Uh, you know, where, you know, anyway, yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think in their system, uh, they would argue that, but, but yeah. Uh, judgment doesn't really make sense if uh, God hasn't made provision. I mean, uh, I guess you, you could argue that theologically. It's like, well, hey, you're, you're all sinners, so therefore you're all under condemnation. Uh, and provision's only been made for the elect, uh, not for everybody. My point here in the discussion here tonight is they're responsible for not obeying the gospel. And doesn't make any sense if there's no gospel for them. <laughs> the reason they're accountable for the gospel is because it was for them. Uh, that's what this verse plainly says. I've never seen anybody, uh, you know, my high Calvinist friends, I've not seen them refute this. They kind of go around it. They don't know what to do with it. All right. I'm uh, sorry. I really got off on a rabbit trail there, did I? Uh, let's see here. Uh, who did not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Uh, the word punish is really a, uh, a makeup of two Greek words. One means to pay and the other means penalty. To pay the penalty. Uh, they shall pay the penalty. Uh, and what is it? Everlasting destruction. The word everlasting normally means uh, eternal, uh, endless in duration. Uh, for example, it is used of the everlasting God in Romans 16.26. Um, so the idea here is the punishment is everlasting destruction. Uh, destruction is the opposite of eternal life. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's not annihilation, but ruination uh, is the idea. Uh, let me see. i got a couple of slides here. Uh, this is everlasting ruin. Uh, it is the utter loss of well-being. It's a loss of all that makes existence meaningful and, and worthwhile. The loss will not cease to exist, but will experience a forever existence that is useless, hopeless, and empty. It will be void of meaning, value, worth, accomplishment, or purpose. It's a state of endless ruin and torment. Uh, a, a horrible, horrible uh, picture here. Everlasting destruction. It's like, you know, ever, everlastingly under destruction, everlasting ruination. 
Matthew 25, uh, 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Both are eternal, the punishment and eternal life. Uh, you know, Revelation 14, 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night. Of course, talking about those who worship the beast, but, you know, applies uh, those who go to hell. Uh, there's an torment that is forever and ever. No rest day or night. No relief. Uh, and that's the idea here. Punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, literally from the face of the Lord. Um, you know, when we think about the face of the Lord, we think about uh, his favor, his blessing. Uh, this is a, a God-forsaken condition. Uh, this is, hell is a place of no satisfaction. Uh, we were created for God. Separated from God is, is misery. I mean, it's the idea of death. Uh, they will experience eternal death, eternal separation from God. Uh, there, there is no experience of the glory of his power from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, uh, from his splendor, uh, from his strength and might. And we think about his strength and might in terms of deliverance. Uh, that's what has delivered us. Um, they will know nothing of his glorious power. They will experience outer darkness. They didn't appreciate God, so he will cut them off from his glory entirely. You know, even the, even the lost world, there's common grace, right? People get up and see a beautiful sunset. Everybody can appreciate that. Imagine not having anything but outer darkness. All the glory of God and the beauty of God is totally removed. Too late they will find out that all that was good, satisfying, and truly enjoyable came from his good hand. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. <clears throat> it is pure folly for the, the last, the lost, to say, <clears throat> I'm going to have a good time in hell with my friends. The truth is, when God cuts people off from the favor of his presence and from the glory of his power, all will be misery and ruin forever. Uh, that is their, their destination, which is almost beyond comprehension. Not almost, it is. I mean, it's awful beyond what we can comprehend. All right, any other thoughts there? You know, it should cause you to want to go out and shake people by the, you know... Collar. <laughs> hey, you have no idea. And they don't. Of course, we have to walk in wisdom. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, is that right? Oh, my. It's unenlightened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, that's just it. That's what I mean. They're in darkness. That's why it's our job to... Enlighten them. To show them from the Word, hopefully. But they've got to be willing to listen, too. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Becky? Yeah? Yeah? Right? Well, it is. I mean, how many of your sins did Jesus die for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you still have your salvation. Uh, you know, God disciplines all of his children to build holiness into, into our lives. And it says in Hebrews chapter 12, if you're without discipline, you're illegitimate. So God is a responsible father. Uh, you can be a disobedient child. 
Uh, you can disobey your master. Uh, you can be rebellious against your Lord. God will discipline. But you're not going to lose your salvation. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, how many of your sins did he die for, Becky? Ah, well, if he died for all of your sins, and when you came to him in faith, you receive a full pardon, that's forever. Uh, that's never going to change. Now, there is such a thing as a sin unto death. I believe you, uh, you get too far out of line. God may take you home prematurely. So, but you're not going to lose your salvation. He'll, he'll deal with you in discipline as, as, a, as, a, as a wayward child to build holiness in your life. You're not going to lose your salvation. Yeah. Well, we get into certain categories where it's like, you know, uh, is a true believer going to ultimately uh, apostatize and totally walk away? Uh, First John, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So um, I don't think you're going to completely turn on the Lord if you're a true believer. Uh, You're not going to completely apostatize. You can be pretty rebellious. I mean, Jonah got on a ship and tried to get as far away from God as he could. Well, he didn't quite get away from him, you know. Uh, but even in that, Jonah didn't ultimately deny the Lord. You know, he said, I, I fear God. Throw me over. <laughs> I'm not going to Nineveh. Throw me over. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think that's, that's what it's true. I think Yep. Yep. Amen. It's what my whole project and my paper is about, the right kind of faith. That's true. I think there's a lot of people that have a, a shallow kind of a faith where they've never had true conversion. Uh, so if you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. You're a new creation in Christ. You still have the flesh. You can be disobedient. You know, you're going to obey the Spirit. You're going to be, uh, listen to the flesh. I mean, we, we have this conflict that goes in on goes on in us as a way of life as believers. We all struggle and we all stumble in many ways. But yet God continues to work with us. He has begun a good work in you. will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to let you go. Uh, there, there's never uh, an abortion performed. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, doesn't lose any of his children in the process here. So yes, once you are saved, you are always saved. But uh, if somebody says, well, hey, that was my, my, my license to sin. You know, it's kind of like, and again, always quote Martin Luther with a you know, caveat because of his baptismal regeneration. But uh, Luther was preaching one day on grace and somebody got him and said, you know, if it's true what you're saying, then I could just live any way I, I please. And Luther says, now what pleases you? That's the thing. If you're a true believer, down deep you have the Holy Spirit. You have a new nature that wants to please God. And when we sin, we hate it. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. So I think there is this reality of a new nature. And, and if you sin as a believer, you won't enjoy it long. David sinned. You say, well, he's a man after God's own heart. Look at what David did. He was miserable in his sin. I think it's evidence of salvation. I'm always happy when uh, you got this uh, professing believer and he goes off in sin. But boy, it's a train wreck and he's living and he's in misery. That's a good sign. <laughs> if you can just sin with immunity, there's a problem with that. I'm sorry. I am really in preacher mode tonight. Yeah. 
It's a good question, though. Um, but yeah, if Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you know him and you put your faith in him, you are permanently forgiven. Uh, he'll deal with you as a child uh, from here on out. All right, anyone else? Okay, I don't know if we're going to get through all this or not. Uh, in fact, I doubt it. Um, where are... There is... Maybe, brother. Maybe. I'm expecting the rapture. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. We can finish this in glory. That's right. We don't, that's right. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think I left off there. Um, you know, I'm going to finish this up. There's too much good stuff here. We're not going to race through this in three minutes here. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because he talks about, I'll, I'll just touch on it. Uh, what's going to happen to the lost uh, the, when he comes in vengeance, in, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel and how they'll be punished with everlasting destruction. But then he goes on to talk about what's going to be, in contrast, the experience for us as believers, uh, how he will be glorified in his saints. And uh, all of this, uh, down in verse uh, 12, his prayers that, that uh, Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him and so forth. So we'll talk about that next week. I'm not sure how far we'll get. I got about halfway through here tonight, but it's good discussion. Anything else somebody wants to say here tonight? Okay, we covered everything from limited atonement to, uh, you know, eternal security. Yeah, that's right. It's all good. Okay, uh, let's share some prayer items here.